Hey guys, welcome to part three of a three-part podcast that I did joined by my lovely wife, Laurel. My name is DJ Horton. I'm the founder of Living Worthy Ministries. I have the privilege of being a pastor of a wonderful church, Church at the Mill in the upstate of South Carolina in the Spartanburg community. And Laurel and I are celebrating 20 years of marriage, and we thought in a way to bless others and encourage others, we would just have a conversation about that. If you've tuned into part one and part two, you know what we're doing. We're just talking about different aspects of marriage. If this is the first one you're catching, let me encourage you to go to livingworthyministries.com. Also, follow us on our podcast. You can also find us on just about every social media platform and keep up with our content. Love for you to go back and listen to part one, where we talked about 20 years of marriage. How did we get here? And then part two, we really focused on marriage maintenance. Like, how do you keep your marriage active and um, vibrant? And how do you work to continue to enjoy one another? And today, we're going to breach a subject that automatically comes with marriage. And that is, if the Lord gives you the grace and the opportunity to be a parent. And now, whether it happens biologically or through adoption, foster care, Virtually every married couple at some point assumes the God-honoring role of being parents. So we're going to talk about parenting in marriage, and then we're kind of bridge that to ministry in marriage. Like outside of your home, how do you use your marriage to leverage uh, movement in people's lives for the gospel? Laurel, welcome again. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, I've enjoyed doing this, and you've done an incredible job. And let's just dive right in. So you and I have been married 20 years, and um, I guess about two and a half years in is when you became pregnant with our first child. I did. We had him right um, as we were celebrating our third anniversary. That's right. He was actually born. His name is Ty. He's 16, about to be 17, uh, junior in high school, and he was born just as we were leaving seminary. We attended in the city of New Orleans. Uh, There's a Baptist seminary there, and we went there, and we had already been called to come here and pastor. We knew that, but I needed to graduate, and more importantly than my <laughs> graduation, you needed to give birth. Mm-hmm. So you gave birth to our first child, and that sort of began our journey. We now have six. Tell us their names and ages. We do. Okay, so Ty is about to turn 17, like DJ said. Our next um, son is 15. His name is Micah. Then we had a daughter, Lily, who is 12. We have Gray, who is 10, Rhett, who will be five soon, and then our last is Evie, and she is two and a half. Yeah, and, you know, we have an interesting story about how our family was built. All of those are our children uh, biologically. Laurel gave birth six times, and she uh, had no no complications. We've been very blessed in that way, but uh, we actually have a story that's probably great for another podcast of a failed adoption uh, that that broke our hearts. We began the process when our fourth child. Our fourth child, I think, was one. One. His name is Gray, and he's Mm -hmm. 10 now. And we started the process of internationally adopting from the country of Ethiopia, which at that point, of course, that's nine years ago now, uh, was uh, in need of people to take children uh, at one point, uh, it was pretty well documented that about a third of the country uh, were orphans. 
uh, and many children were being placed. So it was an obvious choice for us, and Laurel had always had a desire to adopt internationally and been drawn to Africa and th therefore Ethiopia. So we entered in a very long process, so long that we uh, knew it would take a while, and I actually wanted to have another child, um, and we had Rhett and stayed on the list, and everything's tracking along, and then uh, we got to be number one in the nation. In fact, of all the families waiting to be adopted, we were number one on the list. We had started way down in the 130s. We started at 120, I believe. Yeah. 120. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it took almost five years. We got to number one, and, uh, and the nation of Ethiopia, not our agency, nothing to do with us, but the nation of Ethiopia changed its policies and shut adoptions down rather abruptly. Initially, this happens a lot in the developing world, and we were told it, it, it could lift, but unfortunately and sadly, it, it did not. Now, unlike some families who were actually in-country attempting to get out with their children that they'd already adopted, that, that was something that even uh, um, statesmen and uh, politicians had to get involved in. We, we had not been referred. We had received one referral that was retracted because of some paperwork, but we, we had not uh, been referred a specific child, nor had we traveled. But we were number one, and then the door was slammed shut, and we were heartbroken. And uh, and then Laurel called me one day with an announcement. Yeah. In the middle of that, we found out we were surprised going to have number six. So, Which was a total surprise. <laughs> it was a surprise, yes. And now we can't imagine life without her. Yeah. She's sweet. She keeps us on our toes. She keeps everybody laughing so we yes, have greatly enjoyed her and while this podcast is not about orphan care and adoption we we have not closed the door we we believe some way somehow god is going to orchestrate a way for us to bring into our home whether it be temporarily through foster care or permanently through adoption uh, a child that that needs love and nurturing um but let's talk about parenting so laurel how did we make 20 years with these six people? <laughs> How did that happen? And, and what do you think the Lord has taught us in regards to our marriage in the act of parenting? Okay, well, you know, I think we've already been discussing marriage, and we've already have been discussing how marriage um, is a picture of Christ's love for the church. So I, I do think that, parenting is much more enjoyable and while parent is not easy never easy um, parenting is easier when you have a healthy marriage so mm. when DJ is loving me the way Christ loved the church when he's loving me in that manner and when I am serving him and when we are a healthy team then that makes our parenting more effective um, you know, I know that I have somebody that supports me as I am discipline, disciplining our children and training our children and, you know, discipling them. And I, he knows that he has my support as well. Um, so in regards to parenting, I, I just think that if we want to raise effective disciple makers, um, if we want to raise children who knows what it means, um, you know, to be a leader in the house or to love your husband well, um, then we have to start with a healthy marriage. Not that those things can't happen without it, but it does, I believe, make the job of parenting um, sweeter and um, 
you know, it, it's just much easier when you're when you have a healthy marriage as the base. I love what you said there about what we want to make. You know, the, the people inside or outside the church, uh, because of God's common grace, love their children. You know, um, that's one of the universal evidences of the love of God is that He's built within us an innate desire to have children and to love them. But but for the Christian marriage, you know, the the goal is not to end up with healthy adults who are well-educated and who work hard and who chase, in our context, the American dream. The goal of parenting from the beginning of Scripture all, all the way through the New Testament is that it is our greatest mission field and greatest place to produce, I loved what you said, disciple-makers not just disciples. The bar's way too low if it's, I want my kids to grow up and be healthy and strong and tell the truth and work hard and accept Jesus into their heart and be baptized and be nice people. Again, none of those things are bad. But I want our children to leverage their lives to see more people come to know Christ. And that really does change. Well, it changes the way you parent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, our job as parents is not to help our children fulfill all their dreams while obviously we want to help them um you know go after the gifts that god has given them but our job as parents is to make them disciples of christ and hopefully if we are making disciples of our children and other people then they grow up seeing that as a part of you know what believers do it's just a part of our lives um and, but I think that's easiest when we do that as a team, when the husband and the wife make that happen as a team. And that's just a normal part of um, our lives as a family and as individuals. If I were reading a transcript of this podcast, I would underline, italicize, highlight, bold what you just said. I love that. Our job as parents, I'm going to restate it, our job as parents is not to simply help our kids accomplish all their dreams. And that's really rooted in the theology of understanding that the that man, or when I mean mankind, is most fulfilled when he is inside of the will of God, accomplishing the purposes of God. And yet that is counterintuitive to the whole culture, which says you're a good parent if your kids are successful athletically, academically, artistically, and they feel like within them, I mean, think about every graduation speech and every professional athlete giving some motivational talk. It's, hey, the power's within you. You can do it. You can be anything. That's just not true. I often joke, uh, I never did care much for the game of basketball because I was so terrible at it. But if I decided at 12 that I was going to be the point guard of the Los Angeles Lakers, it would have never happened. Mm -hmm. It's not within the realm of possibilities because of the body that God has given me. And so it it's actually counterproductive to set that as the gospel of parenting. The gospel of parenting is so much. You know, talk a little bit about, we talked about in podcast one and two, how marriage is a great revealer. We learn about one another in mm-hmm. marriage. You know, when I lived with you, when we shared the same toothpaste, the same sink, the same bed, same mortgage, uh, the same bills, you really learn who a person is. Well, but there's even a, more so in parenting. There's a whole yeah. nother level of revelation because there is nothing in our dating relationship and there's nothing in our marriage relationship pre-Ty's birth, our firstborn child, that could prepare me to know you. I, I had an idea you'd be a phenomenal parent, but I didn't know you as a mother 
until you became a mother. What has parenting revealed to us in our marriage? What do you think? Well, you know, just like in the marriage relationship, how we are supposed to lay our lives down for one another, when you become parents, there are additional people that you are laying your life down for. <laughs> More sacrifice. Right, yeah. Um, you know, so it's it's another opportunity to grow in our selflessness. Um, but it's also another opportunity to see, um, you know, just to see how your spouse loves another person. You know, I, I think bef- pre-children, we get to watch our spouse love others, love friends or love, you know, people that we are serving. But when you all day, every day, are loving and serving, you know, this little person, um, then, you know, you're growing in maturity, I believe, but we're also growing in our knowledge of our spouse because, you know, when you're a married couple and it's just the two of you, uh, it's easy to spend time together, Mm. or it's easier to spend time together. How much fun did we have before these children took all our money and all our time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we didn't realize how much fun we were having before them. We could just go to Waffle House anytime we wanted. We still have fun, but it's a different kind of fun. Um, you know, so when you when you have all these people in your home and you are having to work together as a team to raise them, um, to serve them, to care for them, um, you know, then you're just seeing a whole different side of one another and you become a team in a different way, I believe. So when you think about our marriage and parenting, you know, we believe in complementarianism which I said in one of the previous podcasts is a long word, but don't get confused. It just means that God has designed us male and female to complement one another. And, and the beauty of that is seen in marriage. And actually the reflection of mankind as feminine and masculine really encapsulates all of who God is. He's tender, he's loving, he's caring. He's also firm, he's strong. So, you know, we, we've developed a teamwork. We are not out of the woods. And if you're listening to this podcast, we are not coming at you as if we have accomplished it. One day, I hope and pray that all of our children are grown and married well and following and serving the Lord Jesus. There's no guarantee of that. We understand that we can put them in the best possible position, but ultimately they will eventually give an account for their own life. I think for older Christian parents who may have a child that is not walking with the Lord, um, there can be a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and uh there's nothing wrong with conviction. I've talked to many older parents that said, you know, if I had it to do over, I would do this differently. I would do that differently. I think that edifies young couples. I think it's good to admit that. But the enemy would love to convince you that you're somehow a failure if your adult child is not walking with the Lord. Not only is that doesn't accomplish anything, but but it, it very well is not, not the case. If you've done everything in your power, they have to give an account for their life. But I hope one day all six of our children are walking with the Lord and married well, but we're not there yet. We have one who is a year and a half away from college, and then we have a two-year-old who's still toddling around the house. So we're right in the We have a long way to go. We have a long way to go. (laughs) So when you think about that, we're in the midst of this. How, um, let me just start by saying, in my marriage, I have grown a greater appreciation for you in watching you mother. Um, you know, uh, I was sharing with a group of men once that, um, when you fight for purity and holiness in your marriage, one of the ways you need to do that is you need to pursue your wife. We are wired to pursue 
And uh, whenever a guy has immorality in his life, it's because it's not only because he's pursuing the wrong things, he stopped pursuing his wife. And the scriptures teach that whatever a man dwells on, he'll begin to want. And this is, you know, when you fall in love with someone, you dwell on them, you think about them, you look at them, you gaze at pictures of them. And, you know, I was often talking to guys about women tend to be very self-conscious about what their bodies look like after childbirth. But every time I see your stretch marks, I'm reminded of what God did through your body to bring six incredible people into our life. And so I watched you from start to finish do the hard work of bringing our children into this world, but then watching you nurture them gave me a deeper respect because you're not my mother. I know sometimes you feel like you're my mother, but you're not my (laughs) mother. You didn't do that for me. But watching you do that for them has endeared me to you. Um, And I think it's important to recognize that that is how God's wired marriage, that my respect for you was high when we got married. It was even greater when we lived together. But it grew even more when I watched you nurture and craft and love children. And that's made me love you more. You often hear people talk about when the kids came and we lost focus on one another. The kids came and we got tired. The kids came and with them came dead and we were always working. And and I think it's because we allow that to happen. We don't pause and appreciate the job our spouse is doing. And the flip side of that is, as the father of four sons, if I don't celebrate you as a great mom, I don't create in them value for a great mom. You know, there's a lot of girls that are beautiful, fun to go out with, and they don't make great moms. Uh, I see this a lot on social media where it tends to be celebrated when women can get away from their children. And uh, I, I get it. Like, everybody needs a day off. Everybody needs to go hang out. Everybody needs a but, but, you know, it's a beautiful thing to be around a woman who wants to be with her children because they are her most important task. One of the gifts of femininity is that God, God gave you the biological ability to bring new life into the world. That is something he never gave me. I can never do that. And that creates a bond. And so to well, me, I, it's I think, built appreciation. But as, as the man, as the husband, your role is just as important in that when you um, are the leader that God has called you to be, then you are, um, you know, you're setting our home up to be um, successful. Not that it can't be successful in producing um other leaders and other disciples without your leadership it can be but you are setting it up um, you're setting our home up so that that can happen more naturally Um, and so you're also teaching our boys and our daughters what it means to be a leader in the home to be the leader as the husband and the father and you're showing our daughters um, what they hopefully will find in their husband, um, because a successful marriage and successful parenting needs both of those. You know, we unfortunately have seen what happens um, with families and with children who don't have that. And, and I mean, God's grace is very real and very apparent in all of our lives. And, and children can grow up and, you know, love the Lord without the leadership of a father. Um, but it helps them to do that most successfully 
um, when they have that leadership in place. And so, you know, your leadership skills were always apparent. That is the gift that God has given you. So, you know, when I knew you in high school, you were a leader. Um, it's not something that you have had to work on and grow in. I, I think some um, men have to, you know, they have to intentionally work on being the leader in the home and in the marriage and as parents. And so God kind of gifted you in that. And so that comes naturally for you. But you also do a great job of um, teaching that sometimes to our children as you do it, you know, talking about, hey, we're going to do this because or I need you to do this um, because and so you're role modeling that for our children. So I think um, as far as marriage and parenting go, they see you being a leader in our marriage and in our home and teaching that sometimes as you do it. And, you know, so they, our children see that as a model, but they also hear that in the words that you say. And hopefully um, they know, our boys know how to lead, even if it doesn't come naturally to them. They know it's important and they have been taught how to lead when it's important to lead. And our daughters know what it looks like to be led by a man. Well, and I think that's a great point, especially for those of you listening. So not everybody's wired like you. Not everybody's wired like me. And we're experiencing that. No, and you don't have to be wired our way to be successful. That's exactly right. We're seeing that in our children. So our oldest son is very much like you. mm -hmm. He is very attentive to people. He's very tender. He's very kind. He's very compassionate. He is not a vocal, verbal leader. Uh, he's not, I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about his future, but I'm saying he doesn't ooze alpha male, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, and, and yet that's the way your father was. And yet your father was a loving, kind, good, masculine figure. Mm-hmm. And then our oldest daughter is like her daddy with a wig on. Mm-hmm. And so she, she naturally nurturing might not naturally come to her the way it has you. And I think this is the beautiful thing about those of you who may be listening. Don't think that Laurel and I are attempting to hold up our individual personalities as the standard. That's not the case. It's you you play to your strengths and you lean on your spouse. So I, I just think about you. I, I think our home would lack a tremendous amount of patience and nurturing if you if you were not those things based on my weaknesses. Yeah, I mean, God gifts us in different ways. Doesn't necessarily match, um, you know, our gender, although a lot of, you know, a lot of times it does. But I, I, like you said, I agree. I think we have to um, use our strengths and weaknesses to benefit our parenting. Um, and it's totally fine for me to, to, like receiving you as my wife meant I get to take advantage of your strengths. Like on my best day. I'm a C plus nurturer. On my average day, I'm a D minus. Yeah. On your best day, you're a C plus protector yeah. and a C plus uh, leader. I don't mean that derogatory. Yeah. Your words carry great weight with women in our church, and and I know that people are benefiting from these podcasts. The feedback from the first one was mainly what you said, which I love that. Um, but I'm just grateful that we can not come to parenting with all the answers. I come to parenting with two very important relationships, my relationship with the Lord, my Heavenly Father, and my relationship with my wife. Well, and I think the biggest benefit that we can give our children is that they know these things. They know that, you know, we we don't always know how to help them solve a problem, but we know the one 
who is with us, mm. you know, when we're walking through difficult things. And, um, you know, you and I are not always going to communicate effectively or discipline as we should, but they need to see us communicate about these things. They need to see us forgive one another. Mm. They need to watch us work through things in a biblical yeah. manner um, to show them how a healthy marriage should work and how healthy parenting should work. And when we mess up, they should see us ask for forgiveness. Yes. They should see us forgive one another. Um, so it's not that we are trying to be perfect in mm. front of them. That no. I think that would be detrimental to them. I've seen it. It's a train wreck when families attempt to do that. Yeah, we need to live our lives in a way that honors the Lord. And when we mess up, we need to repent, and we need to ask them for forgiveness so that they know when they mess up in their marriage and when they mess up in their parenting— you know, what the Lord would ask them to do. You know, and I think that, uh, you know, let, let, let's talk a little bit about behavior problems, not yours or mine. My list is long, yours is not. But but when we come upon a behavior problem, I, I think this is very important for marriages to hear when we're trying to manage our children. Because, again, right now we're in the throes of a soon-to-be 17-year-old all the way down to a 2-year-old. And they are six completely different people. <laughs> um, and I would say that's true if we had 20. They'd all be different. You know, one of the things that I, I would say we've learned over the years is that as long as you and I have the same value system, how we discipline, measure it out, handle a behavior, we can work through times we get it right, times we get it wrong. When we are in the same lock and step of what, what's the goal here? What's the goal? What do we determine to be the most important? And I think if we've got, uh, if we've had any success as parents, it's because you and I come at parenting and disciplining very differently. But what we want, the expected outcome is the same. Right. So when you think about that in relationship to six different personalities, over the years, how have we helped each other discipline bad behavior and redirect our children well i think maybe when we were new parents we probably would have said that you can and we would have agreed that you can discipline all children the same you know we probably came into parenting thinking okay this is the method where you correct and discipline and train and this is how we're going to do it for all of our children but i think as we've had more children as we have had to discipline more and as we have watched how probably each other naturally kind of lean toward disciplining we have learned that you know you a lot of times um, each child may need to be disciplined differently um, and so I think sometimes like if one of us tends to want to do it the same we can encourage uh, one another you know this this child is a little bit different this child needs something differently to learn this lesson and hold your thought right there let me insert this you absolutely are the source of that insight more so than me yeah i know as but as their mother i think this is important to recognize and to be celebrated but and it may not always be the mom in the relationship i'm not suggesting that it's only the mom's role you have to figure out in the marriage who is the one that's most in tune with the different personalities and i would just say that there's just there's no uh, amount of value I can place on what you bring to the table with that. Now, go ahead. Well, no, I, I was just saying that, I mean, we do have to be a team in discipline. But I think, 
I think most importantly is we have to remember that our goal in disciplining, disciplining our children um, is not that they become rule followers. Um, mm. And I think probably both of us could lean toward erring um, too hard on this side and that I want my children to know what's right and do the right thing and to know what's wrong and not do what's wrong. I want them to just follow the rules. And you are, you know, I, I think you would lean toward the side of, you know, when you tell your child to do something, you just want them to do it yeah. right away. Obedience exactly the way. And obedience is important. However, our goal in disciplining, disciplining our children is not that they become rule followers. Um, it's that they become Christ followers and that they see a heavenly father um, that wants them to live a life that is pleasing to him, that wants um, them to glorify him with their lives. However, he also gives us grace over and over, and he gives us mercy. And so I think we have to balance those two things, and I think that can be, that can be difficult to balance, giving grace, offering forgiveness, mm. and still holding the standard that they need to know why it's important yeah. to obey and to show respect. But I think um, we have to remind each other in marriage— um, in marriage of this, and I, I think parenting can be so hard, and so we need the support of one another to yeah. say, you know, wait a minute, you know, let's give grace, let's have a conversation with our child, let's talk about the effects mm -hmm. and the consequences of this, let's, you know, let's hold our, our children to, st to certain standards, but this is not an easy job, and so sometimes we just want easy answers, and because easy. parenting is difficult, and because marriage can be difficult, and because life can be difficult, sometimes we just try to you know, slap, slap a consequence on this and be done with and it. And parenting is a process, um, and it requires extending a lot of grace. It, you know, marriage is a process that requires extending a lot of grace to one another. But I think we need one another's support. Like, it, it's really hard to parent effectively and to disciple effectively without the support of one another and without continually reminding one another what our goal is in raising and discipling. Our children. Yeah, and I think that that speaks to just some guidance to couples. You know, something that you and I have done, I mean, I, I won't say we've done it perfectly, but by and large, you know, we, we don't pit each other against the other in parenting. You know, well, I don't know, go talk to your mom, or I don't know, go talk to your dad, or I know your dad said, I don't agree with him, but he's your dad. Um, that creates a situation where children who are very much sinful will manipulate the process. And I've always felt like when I come down, you've supported me and vice versa. We can talk about it later. If That's right. right. We are a team. And I think this is important to hear. It is, uh, <laughs> I don't I want to be, I want to be frank, but I also want to be a little bit co co comedy, comedic. It's a little bit us and them. What I mean by that is, is that Laurel and I, we are a team. And they've been handed to us. They are not ours. They do not belong They're to us. They are a gift. They are a gift. Mm -hmm. And we are stewards of that gift. And, uh, you know, I hear people say, well, I love my children more than anything. That, that's not biblical. I should love the Lord God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul. And then I should love you as God's provision in my life. And, and I will until you die or I die. And then out of that came, comes that third relationship that's a gift. And I think that order matters a great deal because 
I have four future husbands, I hope, and two future wives. I want them to not see me as important to their life as their spouse one day. I want them to be able, as Genesis says, to leave and cleave unto your spouse. And I think it's important to communicate, you know, to communicate that. And that speaks to the gospel. We have six children. Three have made professions of faith. Uh, Our three youngest have not. Uh, We actually uh, have a 10-year-old who's our uh, fourth child. Um, He absolutely understands the gospel. Um, He's not, he's a joy. He's not (laughs) a difficult child. Um, He has not yet made a profession of faith. Um, We, our approach has always been, we want our children to understand the importance of the gospel, to some degree the urgency of the gospel, but we don't want to rob them of the journey that their individual hearts need to go on. To recognize their personal need for yes. a Savior. Yes. Right. And, you know, all three that have made profession of faith have, have been really on their own volition. And that, that's an encouragement to us. You know, what would you say to the mom who's got that 10, 11, 12-year-old that may not have made that profession of faith? Because you have a 10-year-old. What, what would right. you say to them? Well, I would say I because we have had three children who have, um, you know, who have accepted Christ, um, I we knew when it was real in their lives. Like we knew the moment, even after, you know, several years of asking questions or a couple of opportunities where they came to us and said, you know, I, I think I want to be saved. There was a moment when we knew because of emotions that they showed or tenderness in their speech. Conviction. Yeah, the conviction. There was a moment when we knew that they had truly been convicted of their sin and they truly recognized that they needed a Savior. And so I've seen that and experienced that. Um, And so, you know, as we're waiting on our fourth child to experience that in his life, I'm not discouraged because I know that God is faithful and I know that we, you know, will continue to pray over him. We will continue to have conversations with him. Um, we will continue to put him in the best po- possible position to, um, you know, be exposed to the gospel and have many people in his life who know the Lord and whose love for the Lord is real. Um, and so I know God is faithful, and I know that, you know, he will He will break um, our son's heart um, for his sin. Yeah, for his sin when when Gray is ready to experience that. Yeah. Um, you know, we just, I also, I don't want to be so callous as to think, well, God is going to do that on his timing. It is still my job as his mom to pray for him, to yeah, pray for his. prayers are effectual. To pray for his conviction, to continually talk about the Lord with him, to mm. continually, you know, bring up situations where, um, where we, know that we have a need for a forgiving Savior. And so, you know, I, we definitely still look for ways to incorporate these things into conversation with him. And then we just pray and we just wait for God to move in his heart. Um, you know, so I'm not, I'm not discouraged, but it also doesn't mean that I need to move back from um, my role as his mom in preparing him, helping to prepare him to make that decision. And um, making sure he's continually reminded how that is the most important decision that he will ever make mm. in his life. Mm. Well, and it kind of represents the three stages in relationship to the gospel. We all know about child development and stages, and you know they go from being infants 
who were completely and totally dependent on us, on you, on the mom, really, for everything, all the way to young people that we pack them up and send them off to college, and they're still dependent on us. And I would say that dependence doesn't change. If you do it right, the goal's always been, and we are not certainly the source of this. Many people have said that if you raise your children correctly, you know, you're not worried about them being your best friend. But eventually, once they become adults, you gain an incredible friend. But those stages of salvation, the pre-salvation stage is as they're young, we're teaching them of the things of God and his son, the gospel. And then there's that moment of salvation. And then there's the discipleship. And I think that the most important thing inside of parental discipleship is exactly the same of what we talked about in podcast one and two. The most important thing I could ever do for you in your faith is to really, really, really love and walk with Jesus in my life. And I, I mean, and I think that there's a lot of great material out there on family devotions, on Bible reading plans, on children's ministries, student ministries. But I've often said leading a church with tremendous programming for children. COVID has changed all that this year, but very soon it'll all be back and running. You, you get, there is no um, comparison. You could take a child who has been given every opportunity to go to every children's church, every Sunday school, every summer camp, every youth trip, every youth group, great communicators, great conferences. Would I rather have that? Or would I rather have a child who grows up in the home of a mom and a dad who genuinely love Jesus and are open about their faith, hands down, I'll take the former, the latter, not the former. Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks to the ministry of marriage in parenting. Because the last thing I want to kind of circle back to is our my love for you and your love for me, Laurel, is is preparing our kids' view of marriage. I mean, if we were to close this circle. We started celebrating our own marriage and praising God for it. I won't tie Michael Lily Gray Rhett, Evie, to marry well. I can give them lectures about it. You know, I can pick and choose and be critical of the people that they give their attention to when they are old enough to date. But the most important thing I can do is make sure that they're reared in a healthy marriage. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it just goes back to making our marriage relationship the number one priority in our home. Um, and then before that, it goes back to making our individual relationship with the Lord um, our own personal priority. Um, you know, I we don't have anything to give to our children, or it's much harder to give ourselves to our children and to other people outside of our home when those two relationships, our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with our spouse are not healthy. Um, when those relationships are healthy, then we are able to pour ourselves out to other people. So to pour ourselves out to our children and to pour ourselves out to others. And if we want our children to have healthy relationships in their lives with a future spouse, with friends, with unbelievers, then they have to know um, what it means to walk in healthy relationships. And so, you know, the best model of that as they are children and as they are growing up in our home is our marriage relationship. You know, and I think in that marriage relationship, we can show them how to, you know, have healthy communication. And we've talked about this, but how to work through conflict, how to offer forgiveness, how to encourage one another, mm. how to 
you know, hold each other up if we are sick or discouraged or down. And so mm-hmm. I think we can model in the marriage relationship um, how to love other people well. Mm. And I think that's a great way to kind of bring this to a conclusion. One of the things I uh, we have a counseling ministry now, and they do an incredible job preparing couples for marriage. But when our church was smaller, uh, I kind of did almost all the premarital counseling. And um, I remember one of the things that I would say to couples about marriage is that sharing Christ, sharing the gospel, you can use a lot of anal- a lot of words, evangelism, witnessing, uh, testifying, all those words, making the gospel known to people is pretty nerve-wracking to most Christians. It's pretty intimidating. In fact, I don't know that I ever meet a Christian that says, I'm totally satisfied with my ability to give uh, a witness for the Lord. It's something we're always working on. And whenever I have something hard in my life, and you know this because you know my barn, <laughs> I want the right tool. I want, I want, I want the right tool. And, you know, even in my hobbies, I want the right equipment. You know, and I'm, sometimes we put too much emphasis on the equipment, but I want the right tool. But then I remind young couples, and I would remind those of you listening to this podcast, and I'm going to give Laurel the last word, but I'll say this. When you marry well, and I don't mean the wedding, but when you invest your life in displaying the gospel with your spouse, and you nurture it, and you maintenance it, and you're committed to it, and you you recognize the stakes are high. A healthy marriage, not a perfect marriage, but a healthy gospel-centered marriage may be the greatest tool God has given us to display the gospel to our friends and our loved ones because the world is completely lost on the subject of marriage. It is completely and totally gone. It is a thing of the past for two young people to remain celibate in their sexual relationship, get engaged, marry, spend the rest of their lives in monogamous love, rear children, commit as only to one another um, till death do them part. Uh, Hallmark movies like to celebrate that it kind of still exists, but even the world has said it's it's virtually impossible. And now, of course, there's a, I believe, a, a satanic attack on Uh, saying that it is an institution built on oppression, which is not true. So when you do it, you hold up something that the world knows nothing about, not to exclude the world, but to say, let us tell you about the Savior who's making this possible. So as someone who's not a preacher, you know, you've admitted, although you've done incredibly well, you've admitted that communicating publicly is not the thing that stimulates you. You know, what kind of gift is it to have a marriage to be used to, to reflect the glory of God for people who need Christ? Well, I mean, I guess we just, we go back to Scripture. We go back to what we've been saying and that it, when we work, to love our spouses in the way that God has called us to love our spouses, then it is a way that we can show the world Christ's love. Um, you know, and, and, and there are a lot of ways, I, I believe, that we can show people that we love them and that God loves them. But this is a gift. Marriage is a gift that God gives us to show the world how Christ loves us. Mm and how he gave himself up for us. Mm. Um, and so when we work 
to have a healthy marriage and when we work to put Christ, the center of our individual relationship and the center of our marriage, then we are laying before the world a picture of Christ's love for them mm. and his sacrifice for them. That is so good. I couldn't say it any better. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you for doing this podcast with me. You're welcome. Listen, if you've enjoyed this, if it's been an encouragement to you, please connect yourself to our content. It's it's all openly available, uh, not connected in any way with any financial gain. We, we don't charge for anything. This is just an outflow of our teaching ministry and writing ministry here as pastor and a pastor's wife. Uh, and livingworthyministries.com really has all of it. In addition to that, you can subscribe to our podcast and you can follow us on just about every social media platform. And if this has been an encouragement to you, please share part one, part two, and today's part three uh, with married couples in your life. We, we want to be an encouragement to them as well. And uh, as always, if there's anything our ministry can do for you, if you'd like to be prayed for, uh, if you'd like to reach out and connect with us in some way, somehow, uh, you can always do that through our website. Thank you, Laurel. Thank you for having me.